0: As we all know, uh, lean and continuous improvement journeys in many companies start in manufacturing. And I'm the voice that says, no, I don't think we should start there. Let's start in IT, start in supply chain, HR, finance, legal. We need to start there because there are so many processes that we don't necessarily walk by and see. Hence, the reason why most people don't start there that can add such value to the organization and save time and money. So that's, that's the voice of the underdog, the people doing, you know, doing the hard work and really need some, just a little bit of help to try to make things better, improve their processes, get rid of these, what we would call boat anchors, right? Get rid of those processes that are boat anchors and, and free you to do more value added work.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we are from the Just in Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in this world.
2: We let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles.
1: So I'm excited to hear about what's on the menu today, Elizabeth. Well,
2: today's highlight is another fun lean practitioner and author, Katie Levitz. She's written multiple books and we're going to find out her secrets to helping ordinary people apply lean to places you would not expect. And for Q&A, we tackle the paradoxical reality of leaders who don't see themselves as leaders. Why does that happen and how do we address it? It's an awesome day at the Tech Cafe, Tracy. I would absolutely agree with that, Elizabeth. First up, we discuss the issue of people not seeing themselves as leaders. This obviously relates to my recent book release, Picture Yourself a Leader, but it's something I didn't expect. The most surprising example was from a friend of mine. She said she didn't see herself as a leader, and I was totally taken aback. She's been an incredible leader since I met her when I was 18 years old. She led our sports team to championships when I was in my 20s. Um, at the moment, she's coaching high school girls. She's the thread that keeps her completely divided red-blue family on speaking terms and actually getting together. Um, she's on the board of two different institutions: one's private. One state run, but they have responsibility for pristine wilderness areas that kind of bump up against each other, right? So they need to have access and trails and things that kind of, they have to work together. So she's formed a bridge between them by being on both their boards, uh, which hadn't been happening before that. So if she doesn't think of herself as a leader, then how many people are there out there who don't see their power and influence over others? So how about you, Tracy? How do you see this in people you coach or clients you consult with? Well, you
1: know, there's a a section in your book that, that when you talk about who is this book for, and I'm not gonna say it as eloquently as you did in the book, but you basically said, you know, it's not anybody's a leader. Anybody can have a moment of leadership where they have to step up And they become a leader in that moment. It's not just the role of a leader. And I think that was so insightful because I think if more people recognize themselves in that way, that it's not a role. It is a moment in time where you can actually become a leader. And I think that's very insightful. And I have to be honest, um, I, I I was coaching some folks in an organization and we were talking about leaders And we were talking about managers and the difference between managers and leaders. And leaders are inspirational and they share their vision. And this this person in a leadership role in this organization said, well, I'm not a leader. I'm a manager. I go, well, do you have people that report to you? Yeah. Well, do you think they want a leader or a manager? Right. And so we had a discussion because he didn't see himself as a leader and he felt like everything we were talking about in the class was for the people that w- were above him. But he was sort of excluded from those responsibilities. And it, it really made my head go sideways. But it's to your point where sometimes we don't see ourselves as the leader or we don't recognize that we're a leader or we don't recognize that there's a moment of leadership. So very interesting.
2: Yeah. And it's like you're saying, it's not your title. You know, are you a leader in your family, amongst your siblings, in the community, in in social circles? Like there's a lot of places where leadership is, you know, there. And I don't don't even know. I wonder if it's a gender thing. Right. And the self-image of my friend has been a revelation to me in terms of our inability to see our own power and influence. And I just want to come back to her for a second. She's an amazing human being. I'm I'm not the only one in awe of her. She's she's talked her way past men with guns while hiking up Mount Kenya. She's, she's and now she's dealing with a daughter in college who's struggling and she knows not to jump in and solve her daughter's problems, right? She's, she's giving her the, you know, like, you got this, which is kind of what she said to me As a young athlete, right? And, you know, she's the person I quoted in chapter 48, right? Page 277, she says, You got this, right? Um, It's always, she's always encouraged me and still, you know, she doesn't see it. So the good news is she's been texting me in the morning and she reads a chapter of the book and then over coffee and then she sends me a text like, uh, Beware the illusion of listening. I didn't know I did that, but it's true. It's time to start listening with intent. So she's taking these lessons in and she's working on her leadership skills. She just doesn't know it. So uh-huh. just throwing it out for our listeners, like I would ask, has anyone ever told you that you had influence you were unaware of? Um, I mean, I actually, our interview with Katie, she said, um, somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, right? Has that ever happened to you that people saw something that you didn't see, you know? And so, Maybe ask someone what, maybe ask people what they see in you, and you could learn something about yourself and then be a better leader. What do you think, Tracy? Absolutely,
1: absolutely, 100%. I'm gonna say um, in our leadership class at UC San Diego, we talk about obviously these kinds of traits. But I remember someone asked me, you know, who was a good leader for you or a good mentor? So your question about, you know, maybe somebody saw something in yourself. I'm gonna be honest, I started working when I was 15. And it was my first job. And I basically continued to work from then on. I never really, maybe I took maybe three months off or something like that. But I worked and I had probably had five or six jobs. I didn't feel like my leader believed in me until I was 28 years old. I had worked 14 years, 15, 13, 14 years before I felt like somebody actually believed in me. I felt like a cog at work, horrible. And did, did I have to wait that long? For somebody to see something in me, and I'm like, "Wow, am I a loser?" Or (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't think I'm a loser, but (laughs) but it's just sad, isn't it? Sad, a little sad. Um, And so, I think that recognizing that there's something great in people, and and learning about yourself. You know, I have kids, and my older son. You know, a lot of people tell me he's a natural leader, Mm -hmm. and I don't think he sees himself as a leader. And you know he's a big brother too. And even as a big brother, you ha- you're a leader. You know you're ro- you're a, mo- a role model for y- your younger siblings or for the, your younger cousins. And you we're always told that, right? My older sister, same thing. She was said, well, you're the older sister, so you need to you need to watch out for your other siblings and the younger. So we're taught at a young age. I mean, this idea of moments of leadership has really resonated with me and you know if we really recognize that we can, we are all leaders at some point and it's not a role or a position well said i'm Tracy rourke and you're listening to the just in time cafe podcast we host these monthly so you can go to www.jitcafe that's j i t c a f and go to our podcast
2: page Coming up next, it's our featured guest section, starring Katie Lavitz, author of How to Improve Absolutely Anything, Continuous Improvement in Your Home, Office, and Family Life, and How to Improve Absolutely Every Process, Kaizen for Process Improvement and Fun.
1: So let me tell you a little bit about Katie. Katie LaBez is the president, CEO of Learning to Lean. Love that name. Learning to lean helps companies to embrace the concepts of continuous improvement, leading to revolutionary results. Katie is a certified Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt. She also has her PMP, her Project Management Professional Certificate. She's also certified emotional intelligence coach and a sought-after keynote speaker. And she's been practicing Lean Six Sigma and Project Management Concepts for over 20 years. And she's the epitome of perseverance. She's also authored two books, as we talked about earlier. And you can reach Katie on LinkedIn or via her website, www.learningtolean.training, or her email, info at learningtolean.training. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the Just in Time Cafe. How are you today?
0: Great, great. Thank you for having me, Tracy and Elizabeth. So great to be here. Thank you so much.
1: I know we are you. so happy to have you. We're so happy that you actually agreed to come to the Just in Time Cafe. You know, I, I saw your book actually online on LinkedIn, this one, How to Improve Absolutely Every Process. and awesome. It says, Kaizen for Process Improvement and Fun. And I thought, we are all about fun. I need to call this girl. I need to get to know her. I need to interview her for our podcast. So thank you so much for coming to the Just in Time Cafe to talk about it.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. And thanks for buying my book. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. I want to buy your other one, too, because I actually did not know you wrote two books. So I'm looking forward to hearing about that one, too. So tell us, Katie, what led you into the world of continuous improvement?
0: Absolutely. So I actually went to school. Uh, I'm a self-proclaimed nerd. I went to school for computer science and then uh, management information systems. And I was uh, happily on my way into my IT career as a business analyst. And uh, at some point in my career, I had my operations manager and my materials manager tip me on the shoulder and say, I think you need to go for this green belt training. And I said, no, thanks. I'm not really interested. I've done enough math, right? Anybody that knows, if you go for a computer science or MIS degree, you do a lot of math and a lot of statistics. And thank goodness, those two gentlemen saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. So I went through and got my green belt. And then uh, I was able to uh, negotiate and got my black belt and then progress onto my master black belt. So uh, changed the trajectory and course of my career.
1: Now, did you want to get your green belt?
0: No. <laughs> I didn't want to get my green belt. I had no idea what they were talking about, quite quite actually. It was uh, something new for the company. I was working for Jable at the time, and it was something new for the company. And I really had no desire to do it. Uh, I just was... I said, you know, I've done enough math. It turns out my greenbelt project uh, was uh, determining uh, the future and the correct uh, situation for what we called configuration management analysts. And those are the unsung heroes of any manufacturing company as they're the people that put the bill of materials in the system. And it turned out that uh, I also... Uh, was able to manage those folks as a result of my Greenbelt project. Uh, They used to be in the engineering department. And based on my Greenbelt project, uh, my recommendation was that they belong in the materials department. So I managed a group of business analysts and configuration management analysts.
1: So once you got your Greenbelt, which you didn't want to do, what made you realize, okay, this is what I want to do forever.
0: Great right. I mean, for now, at least. At least for now. Uh, it, it was just exciting and challenging for me. Uh, I think I come from a household. My parents are very organized. My mom was a school admin, uh, school admin assistant for many years. And so she was always very organized. And uh, the concepts within the Greenbelt class really just resonated with me. And I thought, I mean, can you imagine having a job where you just help people make things better, right? We improve processes and it also was exciting to me because it was all about data. So with the IT background, that was really exciting to me because I wanted to be able to analyze the data and use that data in order to make those data-driven decisions. Mm-hmm. So
2: you call yourself the voice of the underdog. Yes. So I want you describe what that means to you.
0: Sure. Uh, That means to me, I am the voice of of the people that have had challenges along the way uh, and the voice of the people that also maybe we don't start our lean or continuous improvement journey with you. Uh, As we all know, uh, lean and continuous improvement journeys in many companies start in manufacturing. And I'm the voice that says, no, I don't think we should start there. Let's start in IT. Start supply chain, HR, finance, legal. We need to start there because there are so many processes that we don't necessarily walk by and see, hence the reason why most people don't start there, that can add such value to the organization and save time and money. So that's, that's the voice of the underdog, the people doing, you know, doing the hard work and really need some, just a little bit of help to try to make things better, improve their processes, get rid of these, what we would call boat anchors, right? Get rid of those processes that are boat anchors and, and free you to do more value-added work.
2: Yes,
1: I 100% agree. Elizabeth and I have done a lot of work in the, the non-manufacturing area arena as well. And I agree with you. I think one of the added challenge for for doing work there is the processes are invisible. Yes. Right? You can't actually walk into a room and go, look at that employee onboarding process. That's horrible. You can't. It doesn't exist. People don't see it. So we have have the added challenge of making the process visible with maps. But um, I agree with you. I think people... Sometimes, sometimes I think it's an excuse. I I sometimes yeah. don't think they believe that it's just non-manufacturing. I sometimes think they're worried about change. It's terrible. They but are worried about change. Like, oh, it's just for manufacturing.
2: Yeah. yeah, but I think it's also what you said, Katie. Is that they don't see it? Like mm-hmm. Tracy calls it invisible processes. Like, what do I see? I see rows of cubicles, and yes. so this. But I think there's something behind that. Like in terms of seeing. Process improvement. Well, you can't see this process, so how would you improve it? Right. But right. yeah, it applies to manufacturing because it's easy because you can see it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Then it's so it seems harder somehow, which it doesn't have to be. Yeah.
0: It doesn't. Uh one of the one of the organizations that I worked with, just as an example, we said you know, our, our ERP system's running slow and we kind of started doing root cause analysis. And we noticed that there were a lot of finance jobs that were being run uh, on a routine basis. So there were over hundred jobs that were automatically being run through the ERP system every month. And we asked finance, we said, could you take a look at this and really try to understand how many of them do you really need? And anybody want to take a guess how many uh, they actually needed out of a hundred? How
1: many? Mm-hmm. Three. One?
0: Three, <laughs> and it happens, right? So there's the invisible process, right? And it's impacting IT. It's impacting our ability uh, to be able to provide that ERP service at a at a speed that we would all uh, appreciate. And finance said, you know, it's been over the years where people are like, oh, we need this report, oh, we need that report, and then you set it and forget it, mm-hmm. and then you have situations where you have over a hundred reports being run automatically on a monthly basis and you actually only need 3. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's many opportunities like that from HR from like you said onboarding or recruiting or college internship process. Uh, to, again, finance, to supply chain. My black belt project uh, was a supply chain project. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's it's everywhere and, and I'm really everywhere. blessed to be able to work with a wide variety of industries mm-hmm. aqua- across a wide variety of markets and service centers and manufacturing.
1: Yes. So tell us, Katie, what inspired you to write your first book? What is your book called? I know you have one there. Sure. Show us what it looks like. Yes,
0: absolutely. It's called How to Improve Absolutely Anything. Uh, so continuous improvement for your work and family life. Uh, and what inspired me was going to meet with clients and they would say, do you have a book that you would recommend? What book should I read before your class? And there's a wide variety of books out there, But I didn't feel that any really talked to people in the voice or in the manner in which I instruct. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to write my own. I have all this information, 20 years of information in my head, and I really want to get this down on paper and have it, as I tell people, it's the voice in my head that is speaking to you. So it is written in a manner in which is conversational. It's just like I speak. And I wanted people to be able to relate to it. And especially those people that I don't get to see in person, right? That they can pick that book up and say, hey, how can I make my life a little bit better at work and at home? And I truly believe, you know, any of the concepts that we all teach, we can apply them at home first. And when people realize how they can apply it at home, they can more easily apply that at work. I agree.
1: That's exactly what I do with my UCSD Greenbelt class is... um, They're from it's a public course, so they're from all different industries, you know, education, government, retail, um, airplanes, you know, all kinds (laughs) of things. And so we put them in breakout groups and the universal thing is how what waste do you see at home? And then they could talk about breakout groups because we all have homes and we all have areas that we live and there's waste there. So it it also helps people realize it's not just work. You're not applying lean principles only at work. It's a way of thinking. And you really want to think this way, not just think this way at work. And uh, it can be really helpful to for people to recognize some of the ways that they see. So, when wh- what's your some of your favorite examples of applying lean at home?
0: Absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite examples that resonates with many people is about car keys and uh, where you place your car keys and if you lose your car keys. So we use a carabiner system here. Uh, I use blue carabiners for my vehicle. Uh, my husband uses a red carabiner for his. So we have visual management going on. Those carabiners are always hooked to my purse, my backpack, uh, your belt loop, right? So we always know where the keys are. When we come in for the day, we put the keys, we have two separate hooks. We put those keys on the hooks. And that really helps uh, from creating chaos in the morning of where are the car keys? What do we do with them? Who had it last? What coat pocket is it in? Uh, or, you know, you're at work and you have no idea where you put your keys because it seems like you started work 24 hours a- uh, ago. So, you know, it's, it's really helpful just to have simple things like that. Uh, we have standard work in our house. Our children are four-legged, so we have standard work for everything. And just in case we ever needed to have have uh, one of you come over and uh, help feed our horses. You could come over because we have the standard work written on the door and we have everything labeled. uh, And, you know, it's, it's really, it's exciting. It's fun to do. Uh, Again, self-proclaimed nerd, but it really does make things a lot easier for us. Mm
2: -hmm. I think the, it's also interesting, like you're saying, uh, both of you, we're, we're all talking about doing it at home, makes it more accessible, makes it understand, understood. Also, I feel like COVID made a lot of us turn our homes into workplaces, and then that mattered even more. Like, how do you differentiate home and work, and how do you keep all that organized? So it became uh, just doubly important to get those things, and people really did resonate with that. I also want to come back to what you said about um, just writing with the voice in your head, which... Mm -hmm like that expression, like I am hearing voices. I am putting them on the page. Yes. But the, the other aspect is just being conversational. And I feel like a lot of business writing has this almost assumed voice that is devoid of emotion that, you know, there's no contractions that, you know, is basically has had the l- life sucked out of it. And it's yes. like, well, unless that's a prerequisite for a course and I'm forced to buy and read that, Like, I would not voluntarily read that.
0: Right. And in the first part of my book, um, the How to Improve Absolutely Anything, we talk about, you know, my experience driving to work on a snowy winter day when I worked in corporate America and somehow I got to work without the keys to my truck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how we can all relate to the fact that you're trying to get to a meeting, you're supposed to be there early, you have no idea how you're going to shut your vehicle off or lock your vehicle because you don't have your keys because something really strange change happened, right? And then you're on a conference call and realize, okay, you're trying to deal with this multitask to get your husband to bring the keys to you and run into the meeting and you have to stop to pee. So, you know, we've all been there, right? And I hope I put my phone on mute when I went to do that. So, you know, we've all been there and we've all done that, right? And, you know, this is, this is real life. How do we, how do we prevent mistakes from happening?
2: Yeah. Yeah and and marriages from crumbling like all that makes a difference in terms of like you know being able to operate like tracy you and your kids like you're constantly saying oh okay let's how can i apply some of what i know so well to get my teenagers to um you know be there yes i did a shoe kanban
1: um at home because i was driving my family crazy i have all boys in my house and i have a ton of shoes and i had shoes in every closet and I realized that I really needed to do something about that um because they were just mad. <laughs> but it was also because my feet started to become more discerning about the shoes that I would wear. I get and that. they were starting my feet were starting to win more of the of the decisions that no, you will not wear those shoes. My heart wanted to wear the high heels and my my heart, my feet were like, you ain't wearing those. And so <laughs> they started to become a museum. And so I ended up creating a shoe Kanban and I did purge quite a bit of shoes, but now I have it managed and under control for the most part. And I only buy shoes when there's space for shoes, but it also helps that I can really only shop two places now because my feet are very particular now.
0: (laughs) Right. And uh, I have moved on to the uh, fancy looking tennis shoes. So
2: (laughs) (laughs) exactly. You know, it's so sad. You use the term uh, at one point, Tracy, the shoe museum, and I realized, oh, my God, I have a shoe museum. <laughs> like, I have some beautiful heels that, you know, they're like peaky toe, something Betty Grable would have worn, like, you know, um, just beautiful velvet, whatever. And I'm like, I will never wear those again. But. <laughs> But maybe just for a photo shoot, as if I could walk on them, I'll sit and and put them on display. There you go. Yeah,
1: yeah. You can take so, pictures of it and go through your shoe museum gallery on your your um, computer. It takes up less space. That's what right. I plan to do.
2: So, Katie, talk. What what's something you do when you work with groups um, that you feel like is part of your makes a big difference? You know, kind of a part of your special sauce.
0: Sure. Uh, I think one of them is um, making sure that there's an icebreaker, right? And when we do icebreakers, and I know that there's there's some folks out there now, they're like, oh, that's, you know, kind of old school, right? Not cool anymore. But I really think it's really important. I want people's minds to leave the building for a little bit before we get started, uh, right? Because a Kaizen event is, it's an emotional journey, right? Uh, it is such an honor to be part of an event, and it's a it's a huge privilege to be able to be entrusted by a company to create a better future state. And with that sort of pressure that's around you to do that, uh, you, you need people to relax, right? We don't get creative ideas if if we're constricted all the time. And you know, we do a wide variety of, of types of icebreakers. I talk a lot about that in my second book, How to Improve Absolutely Every Process. And we, we go through uh, some of the ones that are common for me to be able to use. I just used a, a new one last week with a group and I told everybody, I said, everybody stand up. And I said, everybody contract your muscles just as tight as you possibly can. And so they're all standing there contracted. And then I put a dance song on. I'm like, okay, dance. And they just looked at me like, ah, like- uh, I can't. <laughs> Right, And I told them, okay, let's loosen up, let's relax. And then I played the Macarena and said, come on, everybody dance with me, right? Now we had some poor souls that were willing to dance with me, but we had that conversation over, we can't, Uh, accept new things or be open to new things if we're contracted either physically or mentally all the time. And we need to be able to relax and loosen up to be able to accept and look at things from a different perspective. And, you know, every time we have a Kaizen event, every day of the Kaizen event, we do something different. Uh, There's a card game called Salute the King, which is absolutely hilarious to do. Uh, And, or it comes down to just asking questions like, when you were a little kid, what did you want to do? When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a rock star. Uh, my two uncles, my mom has two brothers, uh, they both play instruments. And I'm like, we're going to have our own band. And, you know, my uncle, one uncle is going to play. The guitar, the other one's going to play the drums and, you know, I'm going to sing. I can't sing, but that was my plan, you know, in second grade that I was going to be a rock star. So, you know, why not share some, some fun things with people and and get people to laugh and relax.
2: Um,
1: There's a lot of science behind that. A lot of science behind that. And I actually, I actually used to resist icebreakers because I felt like it wasn't, people are hiring me to be more efficient. So I just need to get to the work. And that was such a mistake. It's such a mistake because icebreakers remind us that we're human, that we're trying to fix broken processes. There might be conflict within the departments or within the people. And those kinds of things bring people together. They create connection. They humanize people as opposed to thinking, what's wrong with that department? Why are they so, why can't they get their job done, right? So we, we start to think about them as they and not people and icebreakers remind us that we're human, they bring a connection and we there's science behind. When you do things like that, you're more productive together.
0: Absolutely. The,
2: the other aspect of icebreakers or some kind of activity, I'm loving the dance thing and Trace and I will both be taking that yeah. on the road. But sure. um, yeah, the other thing is that you need a transition. Like mm-hmm. you don't know if somebody came in like you, Katie, with having forgot, their keys and you know uh, going crazy trying to make phone calls and and or somebody just dropped a kid off at a daycare center who's you know crying their eyes out don't leave me and then you know they're showing up in these different emotional states and we kind of don't acknowledge emotion on the workplace but that just makes it harder to have it so if you have some kind of a transition like Taking your like, yours was kinetic, which I loved. Like you know, clench and then dance, and then like the analogy of well, you can't dance if you're clenched, you know. You can't you can't be open if you're holding on to stuff. So mm-hmm. both an analogy and just that physicality taking you physically somewhere else, and like Tracy's saying, mentally humanizing um, the people around you, realizing we, we all came into this session from somewhere else, right? And now let's come together and and move on so I really those are huge so I love that you have um you are you're holding strong Katie you're not going to give those <laughs> up that's
0: right
1: so Katie you said your your second book is how to improve absolutely every process and it's really about Zen events so tell us a little bit that's- about that
0: Sure. Uh, So I had many people ask me, you know, what's the process to run a Kaizen event? You know, how does it actually work? And so I wanted to, as I explained in the book, I wanted to share my secret sauce. So uh, Kaizen is a process improvement party. So it's just like if we were throwing a birthday party or a wedding or something like that. That's the same kind of concept when we do Kaizen. And it's really about, you know, what are we doing it for? What's the theme? What problem are we trying to solve? Who should we invite? Where should we have it? You know, down to those logistical things. And even down to in the book, I explain what your room should look like, right? Uh, I, I talk about the fact that I have things from, from the floor to the ceiling sometimes in these rooms, right? Uh, I had somebody say one time they walked past a conference room and they saw all this stuff on the wall. And post-it notes everywhere and candy on the on the table and they said I knew Katie was here because of all that so <laughs> that's uh it's all about fun right yeah and- It's it's all about, you know, how to get organized. We've all heard of events that may not have uh, been successful. And uh, that can be for a wide variety of reasons. So I just wanted to put it out there as a guideline to uh, show people, hey, this can be fun, it can be really productive, and it can be really exciting within an organization.
2: Yeah, everybody needs a little color, a little candy. It's, That's uh, right. A little color, a little, little candy. So Katie, where, what's next for you? Where can people sure. see you? Where are you going to speak? Where
0: are you going? Nice. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, So in July, I actually have two conferences I'm speaking at. So the Lean Frontiers Conference for Lean Leadership is the week of uh, July 16th, 17th, and 18th. That's in Orlando. So uh, I uh, just moved here 10 years ago from Florida. So I'm uh, kind of going back there. And then also in July, I am speaking uh, with uh, another um, cohort of mine. And we're going to be speaking at uh, the Wisconsin Nonprofit Conference in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And then I'm excited to announce that uh, Learning to Lean, my company, combined with uh, Unicorn Recruitment Executive Career Services and NWTC, which is our Northeast Wisconsin Technical College, we are coming together to hold a Lean conference called Lean is for Everyone on September 27th in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So it's really exciting for us to have this. Uh, we're going to have a wide variety of speakers. Uh, some people will be coming in and talking about their success in lean, in things like healthcare and IT, supply chain, HR, and finance. And we're going to have some hands-on sessions where I'll be speaking about how to improve absolutely every process and how to run a Kaizen event. And we have somebody come in to talk to you about graphical facilitation. And it's going to be uh, an exciting day. And we're, we're so blessed and excited to be able to host that this year.
1: Yay. Yay! That sounds fun. And it doesn't sound like it'll be bad in September in Wisconsin.
0: No, today's <laughs> May 1st in Wisconsin and it's snowing. So <laughs> knock on wood, September 27th, we don't have snow. So. Yes. <laughs> I
1: know. Well, we really appreciate you coming to the cafe, Katie. It was a Thank real you. pleasure getting to know you and talking with you. And I feel like you're like, a kindred spirit with the approach that you take to process improvement and it's always fun to meet one of you a kindred spirit because we are about fun and we love it when people make it fun because it could be a slog sometimes and it doesn't need to be and I love your idea of the party the kaizen event party that we are actually honored to be able to change the process for the organization and we should treat it as a party love that
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I I was uh, I'm really honored to be able to be here, and so excited to be able to see what's next. All right. Us too. Thank you. Take care. Have a good day.
1: Be sure to register for our Thursday, May 25th webinar featuring one of our favorite colleagues, author Dr. Cindy Young, titled How to Use Knowledge Management for Organizational Good. Knowledge management is so aligned with process improvement, but I feel like not a lot of people know exactly what that is unless you've been in the industry. So ever been the person your organization relies on to take notes at important meetings because you're familiar with all the players, the terminology, and the current state of initiatives and problems? Aren't you tired of being overlooked? (laughs) Knowledge management can help you be seen and become part of the problem solving instead of the note taking. So come learn about human-centric knowledge management how to improve your use of knowledge and how to use knowledge management to empower employees and reduce or eliminate silos in your organization.
2: And if you're looking for guidance on becoming better at lean cultural transformation, come join Tracy and me for our interactive course at UC San Diego, Lean Six Sigma Leadership, starting this August. And, 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 and be sure to check out Baby Got Tools, Tracy's new hit lean parody rap video. It will pump you up to crush waste.
1: And have you ordered Elizabeth's book yet? Be sure to get a copy of Picture Yourself a Leader because you are the one, whether you know it or not, all the links are below. Stay tuned for all the news by joining our community at thejitcafe.com. That's J-I-T-C-A-F-E.com. We always enjoy your company. Thanks for coming to the cafe. And join us next month and every month for your jolt of lean caffeine.